Sean, what is the most enduring legacy of your crushing defeat to Randy Bueller? Uh, the fact that we all have to suffer through his constant and disdainful hatred of prison strategies. If I had just defeated him, uh, he never would have made the Pro Tour. He never would be a broadcaster. And we could all play Mishra's Workshop without hearing people crying on coverage. That's Close, it. but wrong. Hello and <laughs> welcome to Tusk Talk. <laughs> I'm Greg Mitchell, joining this uh, Tusk Talk. Uh, I'm Sean O'Brien. I lost uh, to Randy Bueller over 20 years ago. And he's uh, still unhappy about it. Yeah. And I'm Evan Nyquist here. So we had a few things on the agenda. We had, uh, so all three of us went to Eternal Weekend and all of us failed. We have some results from Eternal Weekend. And then we also have, uh, I'm going to Chiba to fail once again and um, hopefully take home the Asian Vintage Championship to America. Nice. Um, yeah. Yes, we were thinking about talking about stories from Eternal Weekend first, just to like liven up the stream, then go into Legacy, then go into Vintage. Yeah, go for it. So let's see. Uh, so we played uh, Old School first, probably, but I mean, Evan just did a complete podcast on Old School. Is there any, is there any experience from Old School, Greg, that, that you remember or a funny story that you, that you have that wasn't in um, the previous uh, cast? Uh, I did have a bad beat story. So I was playing the deck, and my troll opponent, literally playing black-red trolls, plays his one of strip mine, his one of black lotus, and his one of wheel of fortune to kill my only land and wheel me into hand with no lands. And then he killed me with trolls. Time out. Was... So did he, did he think that strip mine was restricted? Why, why I would... don't know. I know he was playing sinkhole. The fact that he's playing sinkhole and one strip mine didn't make any sense. Yeah. But he cheerfully told me after the game, yeah, it's my one of. Like, yeah, I have a feeling he was he was probably coming from some other environment where uh, they're cowards and they only play one strip mine, and <laughs> he, <laughs> so he still beat you with suboptimal sedge troll mid range. That's fucking embarrassing. Yes. Uh, At that point, I dropped because I had taken the red eye. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a brutal. Uh, if you had like been successful in old school, I can't imagine. I mean, by eleven o'clock, you would have just died. I mean, uh, being on on the red eye and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah I, I lost my dying for uh, for Saturday. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did go deep on Saturday. How about you, Evan? Did you have any cool stories that you didn't cover in the other podcast from old school? Uh, I want to give a shout out to the sick jackets that uh, the Lord of the Pit squad, the guys from Chicago. Oh, Danny uh, Friedman and those guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I played Danny Friedman, and we just had like the best conversation about ninety three, ninety four, and then we had some sick games. Um, where he was playing the deck, had me locked out, dead on board, and I was just pulling one of, just crawling my way out and almost got there. But I also had like a really sick Chaos Orb flip that he recorded. Um, but that was pretty much the main one that I wanted to get out there that I missed on the last cast. Uh, seriously, one of the coolest people that I'd met 
at the event, uh, and all those Chicago guys seem very down for the 93-94 format, so. Yeah, I thought we had some fucking sick gear, and then I saw their fucking denim biker jackets, and I was like, oh, this is pretty weak. Yeah, especially with that Lord of the Pit, like, demonic symbol. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we need to step up our game. Evan's got a pretty sick track suit he just bought. That, that, oh, uh, man. Like Russian Mafia? <laughs> yeah, it's straight <laughs> Russian Mafia. It's pretty yeah. fucking sick. Yeah. You know, carrying like a, a packet of gum or something or like a loaf of bread in your waistband? Just pretend yeah. it's put, put your hand on there. Yeah, he has like some fucking chewing gum and a wire and like a piece of piano wire in his fucking pocket. It's so fucking gangster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... uh. Who did I? Oh, yeah. So I, I had a. I thought I had a pretty good deck. I ended up losing to a man who tried to attack me with Wall of Heat. Um, and then I lost a close Wait, but game. It's a wall. Yeah, but this it was probably a young... said walls can't attack. <laughs> well, no, no, no. See, that's the thing. This was some poor child, and he had never played with walls that weren't already like had defender. I guess he he was looking for the actual defender keyword, which the creator never intended to <laughs> exist. So he was like, Wall of Heat is the best creature ever. It's a 2-6 for three that just beats the shit out of people. But no, he defeated me. And then um, I uh, I also got greedy in that match. I likely could have beat that child, but the opportunity to paralyze another player's electric eel was too much to pass up. And at that point, I had two or three beers, and I just wanted to say, paralyze your eel. <laughs> <laughs> paralyze is so good. <laughs> oh, but, it's, but I should have saved it, because uh, if I had just waited, I know the guy's playing four Serendipifreets. I know what deck he's on. I just paralyze his Serendipifreet, and he just, like, literally just dies to his own Afreet. That, that was a key strategy. I only played eight win conditions, nine, actually, if you count Stormseeker, and, like, Counting on other people's gins to kill them under Paralyze is a valid strategy. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a reliable win condition in old old school tournament. And then I lost to the eventual champion uh, Daniel Humphreys, who uh, game one he got Savannah Lion White Knight like the perfect curve and beat me. I could never find Drop of Honey. Game two he I crush him because I cast like two Glooms on him and he can do nothing. He cannot put a spell in the stack. And then game three. He goes, Plains land tax go. And I'm like, oh, well, this is a bad matchup for me. You've got four land taxes. And he just, at this point, he is unable to speak or move. And he's like, no, I just have one land tax. So he finds his one of 75 <laughs> land tax in game three, the only card that can possibly stop me. And he, he beats me. So, but. Old school is truly a balanced and really <laughs> low variance format, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny, though, like the, for all of the crying about the four vises and the strip mines, what were the top four decks? It was like White Weenie and three of the decks, I think. It's just a coin flip. We're all like drunk, like playing <laughs> shitty decks, total matchups, like whatever you draw. Like I yeah. played against, I think, a suboptimal build of the deck where he had a bunch of creatures, but uh, I didn't draw a removal. And it's, yeah. it's just what, how your deck draws that day. I faced a man who had a total of four ivory towers in his deck. And I had... F- Isn't it restricted? No, it's not, in fact. In fact, it's very good. But I had I had four visors on that man. <laughs> so we lined our visors up against our ivory towers. And then I crushed him with factories. But that was... A- you know, with, uh, with Apnap, yours resolved first, I think. Yes, that is true. So um, uh, if, if he was on the precipice of death, he would, in fact, die. But he was never that close to death. Well... I- I just beat him to death with, with uh, Winter Factories because they are cold and dark. Um, nice, sir. 
I just well, let's move been, on to yeah. Let's move on to uh, maybe stories from. Well, I, I know both of us had an exciting Friday night. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll do it chronologically. So Friday is Vintage Champs. So uh, you prepared more than I did. Why don't Why don't you just give a brief synopsis on what you prepared and why you chose Planes Go as your deck? <laughs> yeah, so I, I tested a lot of matchups. Uh, I played a lot with White Eldrazi, and it seemed like it was under people's radar and very powerful. Um, like, it's a boring deck, but it was testing well. So that's all I'll say about that. Uh, I faced probably the two worst matchups possible in the room. I played against Waterfalls, so Shardless Agent into Tarmogoyf. Uh, absolutely crushed me. And then I played against Grixis Pyromancer. He died, like, as expected. Then I played against Infect, and I thought I was, I mean, it's like a fucking joke, like, budget deck. But here it goes, game three, Black Lotus through my Thalia, Gitaxian Probe, Pain the Tax, Bladed Agent. And then kills me turn three. Through a Thalia. Through a Thalia. So he wasn't budget, though. He had a Lotus. Yeah, this I mean, he probably a chose two to or take three his power and play Infect. What a fucking champion. Was this only <laughs> Rad in disguise? No. Oh. No, it was some guy. He had oh. VIP. I think we all did. It just didn't matter. That was a waste of money. Yeah. I mean, the chance of you getting paired against somebody who had VIP was like 89%. So you basically, oh, I don't, I didn't play any matches not on the, the wide tables anyway. Like, because either you or your opponent was going to have it, but um, what a waste. So that was your second loss. And then you didn't, you played the same amount of rounds as I dropped in the fourth round. Oh, right. So I sat down for my fourth round and my opponent just didn't show up. Nice. I, uh, and the person next to me, his opponent didn't show up either. So we just played our matches. Turns out it was the mirror. He crushed me 2-0, and I decided to drop. So that was probably just about the time when you walked over to check out my round four match. That's right. So uh, I started off with a buy that I worked so hard for at Gen Con that Greedy Mike did not work at all for and was given. <laughs> um, and then, so my round t- – oh, so taking a step back, I chose to play Leovold Bug – um, and I chose to make my build really resilient against Thorn and Eldrazi decks. So I'm like playing main deck Tarmogoyfs and huge, huge creatures. And I think I have a main deck Triangular Predator and two Dismembers main deck. So it's Leovold, Bug, Force of Wills, Counterspells, and Snapcasters, Jace Prince Prodigy, etc. Abrupt Decay. But like hedged extra against the expected ton of Eldrazi, ton of Null Rod. I have a main deck Null Rod also. So uh, I sit down after my buy, and who sits across from me but none other than the person who will host this podcast, Jason Jaco, who, if you're not familiar with him, has written now a soft cover, 100-page treatise on Eldrazi and Vintage and why it's the best thing ever and why you should play it and why you should play four null rods and have no power. So I believe I am on the draw. I can't remember who won the roll. But anyway, I am evaluating all these mulligans just assuming that Jayco is running his deck that he's trying to sell books for. And so I flush a hand with like misstep force and nothing. And I mold a six, which has like dismember death, right? Shaman. I don't know. Some other good anti-creature card, like a decay or something. It's an awesome anti Eldrazi hand. And then I like scry a vampiric tutor down to the bottom, I think. Uh, and so Jayco opens up and goes, I have a pregame effect, Leyline of the Void, Mishra's Workshop, Mox, Helm of Obedience, go. <laughs> nice start. 
<laughs> so I'm like, you fucking cunt. How the fuck do you write a book on Eldrazi and then come to this tournament with this fucking pile? I just Man's kept... a maniac. He doesn't give a shit. I know, but I'm sitting here with this dismember in my fucking hand. Like, ah, oh, I'm the man. So he annihilates me. And then uh, I still had outs, I guess. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, regardless, he annihilates me. And then um, he's also playing with the signed Duretti's I just gave him as well, which is embarrassing. So he's game two. We have more of a long, drawn-out game. And actual Duretti actually destroys me. Like, I just cannot cope with that fucking card. I have to spend my abrupt decays not dying to, like, combo pieces. And he lands new Duretti, and it's just the card is just like a card advantage machine. Like, you, unless you can abrupt decay it, it's just such a fisting. And it got to the point where I had no real outs because Null Rod was no longer an out because he would just shatter it with Duretti. All of my creatures were pieces of shit because if I play them, he just terrors them with Duretti. The thing is an absolute fucking terror, and I couldn't kill it, and I died. Then I played a on feature match not in the camera or maybe we were the yeah we were on the off-camera feature area against a Leovold deck as well but it was a gush Leovold deck with red and no good creatures or no big creatures no Tarmogoyfs or anything like that and uh, I beat him in a game three in which he made a bunch of tokens with Pyromancer and attacked some into my two Tarmogoyf board and had a hand that had like a fluster storm, and I don't know what his counter spells were, but he left up. You were railbirding this match, I think. I was, Let, yeah. He left up. Yeah, let's get to the point. You savagely top decked <laughs> a virulent plague. Yeah, virulent like plague, like and a champion. Him. So I minus two all of his dudes and crushed him with like a hundred power worth of Tarmogoyfs. So uh, this was it, your one of out, right? No, no, I had two in the deck at the time. Yeah, so I, I, I could have uh, drawn either of the. What was my other? I don't think I had any other. Well, I mean, Virulent Plague at that point was, yeah, was going to be... Oh, Demonic, I guess. All right, I draw Demonic. Well, anyway. Anyway, long story short, yeah, it's Virulent Plague because Bugs match up against tokens is hideous. So that leads me to the penultimate round of Vintage Champs, round four. And this year, keep in mind also, I promised myself, I'm like, I'm going to play the whole thing out. You know, like, yeah, I, I deserve to play, you know, eight rounds of Vintage. And so I get to the next round, and the man is on Dragon. And uh, so game one... I drag it out for a while. Really, my opponent probably should have killed me long ago, but he doesn't understand how many of his cards work, like Flusterstorm and Mindbreak Trap and all these other things. So the game goes a little bit longer, and I actually get him to two life when through some bizarre sequence of events, he is able to... He switches his Animate Dead to Grizzlebrand, draws too many cards, gets very low on life. Uh, And if I go to my turn, I get to kill him with my Deathrite Shaman, Holon Karthus. Basically, I believe it... you got the text of it right. It's like an eight-eight flying some combat thing, but um, but the point is, is that yeah, he has haste and he has. I thought he had fire breathing. Oh no, no, hold on, it gets better. He got this other fucking dragon back. Hellkite Overlord, help me here. Oh, sick. Okay. Maybe it wasn't Carthus. Yeah, sorry, my bad. It was Hellkite Overlord. He had all of these things in his deck, by the way. Um, this is it, a crazy dragon deck. <laughs> well, it literally was tribal dragons, but like it's also dragon. So this piece of shit is an 8-8 for 8 mana that Flying Trample Haste Fire Breathe Regenerate for Golgari. And I'm at whatever life. And so he he ends up having to Wheel of Fortune. His Lotus is gone also. He ends up having to Wheel of Fortune and finds the card Lion's Eye Diamond to Fire Breathe his Hellkite Overlord to 11 power to kill me. This is how the man beat (laughs) 
fucking lion's eye diamond to enact fire breathing on his fucking, you know, EDH special Hellkite Overlord. It was absolutely humiliating. But it gets better because I feel like I have a pretty good matchup. I have a nice amount of grave hate in my board. I've got Deathrite Shamans, Wastelands. I can handle Dragon. Now, I know they sometimes go into, like, you know, sneaky Tezzeret, Time Vault sideboard plans or whatever. So, and Abrupt Decay is fine against Animate Dead anyway. So, I keep in some removal. I take out crap like Dismember, which is obviously bad. The man sideboards into tribal vampires and proceeds to kill me with... I have to fucking look up this piece of shit, too. Uh, Drog Skull. Yeah, it's Drog Skull Captain. I walk over and there's a Drog Skull Captain on the board. He activates Bazaar. Puts in this, like, fucking three-mana madness red creature with Trample, I think. So that thing looks like... I just like had to walk away. Like, <laughs> what is happening? So he, saw, he apparently uses all of his sideboard slots to decide into tribal vampires. And at this point, as my day begins to come to an end, I realize how brilliant the plan is. Like, the plan, the plan is to go into... Oh, it's Stromkirk Captain. Sorry. Stromkirk Captain for... The flying death touch guy, Nighthawk times four, and then this new thing that's it looks like a Medusa. It tramples, it's a three two, and when it hits you, um I don't know what the fuck. God damn it, what the fuck is the name of that thing? It's gonna haunt I'm sure me we forever. Can find it later. I have I have visions of this thing when I go to sleep at night. Stromkirk out occultist is what killed me. All these things have madness. So the fucking guy is just like churning away with his bizarre, just shitting vampires onto the battlefield. He also has this vampire that bobs on both our upkeeps if he's hellbent. It's brutal. Asylum uh, visitor. Asylum visitor, yes. So I, I died to try. Reasonable. Yeah, that card is absolutely reasonable. Um, but Stromkirk Occultist is absolutely not reasonable. So I held him off as long as I could despite many players, and I, I lost to tribal vampires. And at that point, had I lost to something reasonable, I was planning on continuing to play, but. That was so humiliating, and so many people saw me lose to it that we decided to go get hammered. And um, Look, that was, that was not my plan. Just putting that out there, I was planning to have a couple of beers, and so we go to this place called the Pint House, and yeah. this Pint fucker, House. like, two Guinnesses in, is like, let's get shots of Grey Goose and lemon. Yeah, I gave you a lemon at least. Rancid. And I mean, be honest, by the end of the night, I have pictures of you drinking Bruce and grapefruit. Like it's your favorite drink in the world. Whatever. <laughs> At that point, I probably would have drank in straight vodka. Like it was my favorite drink. Yeah. So <laughs> 20, 25 drinks later. Um, oh, we forgot to eat dinner. That was the other huge problem. Oh so yeah. We played the nachos. Yeah. We ate crappy Indian lunch. And then from two thirty until probably midnight, we drank one drink every 15 minutes to 10 minutes. And um, yeah, I was absolutely sloshed. We had a great waitress who continually filled this giant carafe of water. It's probably the only reason why I was functioning the next day, but that didn't save you. Um, oh. So that brings How much us- did your bill end up being? Uh, like I distinctly remember the waitress comes over and asks, Hey, your, your tab's getting pretty expensive. Do you want to close out? Yeah. So like- I replied when it hits four figures, let me know. <laughs> She she was super though. I tipped her a hundred bucks. She was awesome. God damn. Um, but yeah, I think the I think the bill on my credit card is two seventy seven something. So the oh, that's not bad. That was nothing. Yeah. And matter of <laughs> fact, I think we got we must have got some free gray gray goose because I know we ordered at least four or five shots of gray goose, 
and then we had me and you had three or four rounds of goose and grapefruit and then all those beers and some nachos and and shots for that guy I drank under the table who was crippled and couldn't play like <laughs> yeah, Sean Martin. Sean yeah. Martin's a degenerate from the West Coast, but it just really doesn't compare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been humble before. Don't get me wrong. Like, I've woke up with an IV bag in my arm and have been in a bad spot before from drinking too much. But, and there's Humphreys who, <laughs> I mean, Humphreys basically is invulnerable or, I mean, he has persist. Like, you just destroy him with infinite rum and you think he's going to die. And then he just comes back with a minus one, minus one counter on him. So, uh, <laughs> wait, so he wears those pirate earrings and his drink of choice is rum? It's perfect. His drink of choice is whatever is placed in front of him. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the man will walk into a craft beer bar and order a, a Mick Ultra with a straight face. I, he has no, he has no fucking shame at all. <laughs> Louisville's going to be spectacular because he's going to be on his fucking A game for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going. Yeah, so that brings us to all right. So that was the end of our Friday, which was complete and utter failure. So, I guess. Uh, Evan, we'll start with you. What was your plan for for Legacy Champs on Saturday? Well, on Friday, I played in the 25K for Legacy. Oh, yeah, sorry. I forgot they had the tickets tournaments, yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. Um, I played uh, Death and Taxes four out of six times with Big Red. <laughs> I had a wonderful time. On Friday? Oh, God. On Friday, yeah. I decided to play Big Red. I was playing uh, the Goto version. Uh, which did well, um, but uh, death and taxes was tough to jump over four times. I beat it once, and I lost three other times. That deck is really strong right now. Um, then I beat a shardless player and a Grixis Delver player. I ultimately lost to death and taxes, though. But Goto almost hedged me out. Um, I was not playing the new Chandra, which I think is pretty sick. Um, I think two of those in the main is correct. Um, a lot of people are playing the combustible gear Hulk now. Um, I think it adds a little bit more variance to the deck, which I'm not sure if that's a route you want to be going, but it seems to be working out for people. Um, but yeah, if you're a gambler, that's a good card. Um, I right now like Goto quite a bit, but I might try that out, but I like having the batter skulls in just for that five mana casting cost. Um, when, you know, your mana's, tight and you're fighting against a lot of counter magic, etc. And it's great for hedging up miracles battle. So, but yeah, that was my uh, 25k. I got, I got beat up pretty good there. Um, and for the legacy on set. So, so just to stop for a second, were you, yeah, yeah. was that, was, was that tournament gonna influence your decision on what to play Saturday or were you, were you dead set on playing your Saturday I was, deck? I was dead. I mean, so just to rewind a bit, for October, I was working 60 to 70 hour weeks uh, for a really huge project that ended up getting moved to basically me returning to Atlanta the night before Eternal Weekend. Uh, and this happened like two weeks, three weeks before Eternal Weekend, where I found out. Um, and then the big project, you know, was in Denver. And basically, I flew into Atlanta at 1.30 a.m. and I hopped to Uber at 3.30 a.m. Uh, to fly to Denver, I mean, sorry, to Columbus from Atlanta. Um, so I knew I was pretty beat up. So I was like, well, I'll play Big Red. I know the deck well enough. And, you know, there's enough, you know, autopiloting in some rounds. So I thought it'd be a good go. Um, I knew for Saturday I was going to do Depths because it's just a deck that I've played a lot. 
um, playing for like three years uh, off and on. But I'm a man of the bayou, so I decided to go with the bayou, praying to Richard Garfield. So I picked up depths and uh, jumped in. I actually ended up uh, playing against uh, Greg Mitchell. Yeah, that's right. Round four, I think we were both 3-1 at the time. Uh, round five. Round five, okay. Yeah. Right, yeah, so 3-1 each, I think, then. But, yeah, that was an interesting build that I yeah, had on him, if he wants to talk about it at all. Yeah, Greg, how was your Saturday morning? Yeah, yeah I mean uh, – I guess, yeah, I'll rewind it. I know the <laughs> story. I, I missed out on that. I saw a little bit on your face. I think I was pretty beat, too, when I was playing you. It was like a matchup of the devastated. <laughs> yeah, definitely – I was uh I was feeling better by then, but we can do a little flashback to the morning. Uh, so Brian woke me up at some ungodly hour, like eight o'clock, and I was certainly still asleep. I barely remember walking to breakfast, buying an omelet, and by the time I got to the uh, the convention site, with like maybe fifteen minutes before the tournament start, I couldn't eat my eggs. I was so nauseous and feeling out of sorts and tired. I was just picking at them. And then the real trouble kicked in. Uh, my body likes to punish me for overindulging by, uh, by, really punish, by really making me not feel good the next day. And uh, it's manifested itself in a couple of trash cans receiving their, my stomach contents. And then the floor. You were the, the, uh, you were the plague <laughs> And then some more trash cans. Plague bearer. <laughs> Look up the art for playing here. I'm you. amazed they didn't kick me out. They, <laughs> honestly, I was a menace to the tournament and to, like tournament cleanliness, sanitation. Your breath was probably fucking heinous at that point. Anytime you vomit multiple times, your breath just turns into pure acid. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, so like I asked Brian uh, after a player meeting, like, Brian, should I drop before round one? Just straight drop. And he's like, you should probably play out one round. So I do. My hand is literally in my head, like holding my, my hand with one one hand, and I just, like, steamroll my, my Storm opponent. Like, blind flip off counterbalance, and he's like, hey, that's pretty good. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. Eh, whatever. So explain to the listeners uh, in your drunken haze why you were able, what deck you chose, and the reason you were able to actually do well despite having a BAC of 9 24 hours after drinking. Uh, so I played Miracle of Science. It's uh, Miracle's Omniscience Hybrid. So it does contain top, but sometimes show and tell is a stupid card, and I just like draw the combo. And I mean, it doesn't take a lot of brain power to assemble three lands, show and tell, omniscience, kill you. Yeah, I thought I had you at one point when we were playing. I, I had, uh, I think, duress you and had a clear path, and then I had Merrillage online, but you had omniscience out and uh, drew the brainstorm, cast it, and whoop, dead. Yeah. One cantrip really, really chains pretty well. So yeah, what so, did you? Uh, what did you eventually? So so you're both three one. So I guess back to Evan. What did you? What was your first loss to you? You had a uh, uh, started off two zero or three zero. I can't remember now. Uh, I was three zero. I went to three one against Shardless, um, where I failed to resolve my Sylvan Library. I looked at my three cards, Bloodshot Eyes, uh, and I uh, put down the three cards on. It's zero cards in my hand. And uh, I was checking Tarmogoyf, and I just went to attacks and passed the turn. And then I noticed there's three cards, and I picked them up, and I went, oh. And I was, you know, I didn't have enough life, and so it was just GG, but I had him. But So that was my loss. 
And then you ran into the miracle of science. I ran into that. And then I picked up two wins after that. And I was just completely dead. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I was completely fried at that point. Um, I went on to play Lincoln Baxter who was playing. He's from Charlotte. Um, he does a lot of community organizing with the legacy people up there and kind of like message back and forth about legacy stuff and pushing the format and whatnot. And uh, so I, anyway, I played him and he was playing also probably the worst deck to play against, not because of a win loss ratio, but it's just such a grind match, especially at that point of the day. Uh, he was on a lands deck with Leobold and intuition and Jace and Liliana. Sounds like a sweet deck. It's a sweet deck. It's super sweet. And he has it totally chromed out um, in a good way. So he's got a, got good foils, good pack foils in there. And he, uh, he plays the deck really well. Um, it was a super grindy match, and I lost. Lands is kind of miserable, right? Like, it's this game of chicken where neither of you wants to put a depth down because the other one can just stage it, right, and fuck right. the other person in the ear hole. Oh, man. I didn't think about that. Yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of tricky plays, and the same goes with depths versus lands. Uh, you really have to be aware of all of the small interactions between the decks, and the first three plays are really critical, um, and that's including the cards you drew for the match. Um, that is pretty much a lot of the pre-determining factors, and then one of the players might be lucky to grind out the other one, Usually through the other player not understanding some of the interactions or just someone drawing the right card. Uh, but it's definitely like, you know, the attack, I can just block, you know, so no one's attacking. And a lot of the decks aren't playing Punishing Fire. Uh, and I'm having to fight through, you know, multiple, well, that's for Lance. But with his deck, it was just more fighting off the Planeswalkers because he's running, running multiple Jace, multiple Liliana. Um, Leobolds I'm not too worried about, uh, but yeah, the Jace uh, was finishing factor. Once it just grinds you out, just grinds out all your lands and then Jace's you out, you know. What was the, uh, what, are, what were the main differences between the Depths version that you played and the one that ended up winning the event? I know they're pretty pretty similar, Hex Mages, pet, Fast, Petals, things like that, right? Right, right. Um so I've, I've updated my deck a little bit since then and I've kind of been hybriding between the two. I don't play the Elvish Spirit Guys. Uh, didn't then, don't now. Um, I think they are really good and I think it's a great route to take. I'm just not really, you know, that sort of Belcher type of player, I guess. Um, I like to have resources, kind of fight my way through the match. If I run out of gas, I want to be able to pick back up. Um, where that deck is, it plays one Sylvan Library, um, where I was playing three at the event. Um, right now I'm down to two, but uh, I played the K's in the main, where they do not. Uh, they, As I was mentioning to Greg earlier, uh, they're running a larger <coughs> count of, <coughs> excuse me, pithing needles now. So the idea is, you know, you want to have three or four. So I think they're up to three or four now, but they were running one in the turbo build. Um, but there's a lot of similarities. Uh, the one thing that I have taken, I was playing two bobs in my build and not of this world was not included in my deck. Uh, I'm still on the fence about not of this world. It's 
far as being in the main or the side, I think it's solid in the side. Um, I think it hedges up a lot of your matches in round one, you know, if you're getting the right matchups, but there's a lot of decks that the card is dead against. Uh, and that's holding up three of your slots. And then if you don't have a card draw engine and Merrill Lage is taken care of where there's threats on board, then there's some issues there. Um, so I always like Sylvan Library. Uh, I think one is too light of a number, personally. Uh, Sylvan Library is always a huge threat to a majority of decks. If they can deal with it, they're going to deal with it, uh, especially for blue decks. It's just something they do not like seeing. And in a deck like Depths, you have so much tutoring going on. So you're getting to reset your library over and over. And then, you know, if your guy gets swords, you just pump the life right into Sylvan Library and you're drawing. I always like Bob in the deck because everything in the deck is zero to two, mainly on the zero to one side. Uh, so Bob is always a great engine and being more of a lands deck, uh, you can utilize, you know, his card drawing and not losing too much life, just as much as the lands deck that splashes black does, uh, similar context. Uh, with not of this world, though, it kind of, you know, omits Bob from the deck. Uh, I do like Fairy Macabre quite a bit right now. Uh, against the black red reanimator, gets around Chancellor. Um, so I'm running two of those typically, and then two surgicals. Uh, I like to keep my surgical at least at two so that I can, I mean, just for the matchups that I need it. Uh, it's also great against lands, does more work than Macabre, but also you can target your own Dark Depths or Hex Mage or Thespian Stage when they try to surgical yours and then fail to find the rest, uh, which is pretty good as a defensive move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but those are pretty much the main differences. Do you think he surprised a lot of people? <clears throat> I think that was a lot of the deck. I, I mean, as far as climbing ranks so high, it's kind of been undercover on MTGO. I think a lot of its sideboard decisions and main engine is based on the MTGO meta. Uh, which works pretty well in an event like Eternal Weekend, where there's probably going to be more parallels than MTGO versus your locals or, you know, a SCG of a certain region. Uh, I think Eternal Weekend was a good place for it to step in and catch a lot of people off guard. Uh, there's a lot of good matchups. I wouldn't say the field is soft, but it's you can definitely climb through some matches where your opponent just does not know what the fuck they're doing. And if you're playing that deck tight, you'll just, you know, easily catch people with, you know, Sajiri Step, you know, of or, you know, Elvish Spirit Guide, you know, catching your days, and uh, Elvish Spirit Guide to crop rotation, you know, just these little tricks that the deck has that people just are not thinking about at all because they haven't seen the deck really. But now that it's been more put into the light, you'll probably see, you know, strange cards possibly in people's sideboard like the red black card does damage to target player equal to creatures uh power i believe talking about backlash backlash yeah That's yeah nice. there's backlash there's the deflecting palm there's uh there's a lot of things you can do to, to fuck a merit lage <laughs> somewhat hard i love repealing merit lage that's my favorite thing nice yeah. but yeah so um it'd be yeah, interesting to see if that deck gains a little bit more steam. Yeah. Yeah. It's always kind of wavered in and out. So what was your second loss to Greg? Uh, so I lost to burn and then I lost to uh, miracles. So pretty much the mirror. 
Uh, I have a tournament report up in uh, on MTG The Source in the tournament report section. So if you guys want more details, you should definitely check that out. You're a better man than me. I haven't, ri- <laughs> I haven't written a tournament report in a long time. Uh, it's honestly, I don't know if it's a better man. I'm just more vain. I also don't ever finish tournaments, despite promising myself this year that I would finish Vintage Champs. But I was shocked that I finished Legacy Champs. Finished, uh, what, 10 rounds after being basically unconscious uh, round one? I mean, when you woke up in the morning, you did not want to play Magic. Brian, Brian had no. to really talk you into it. You were really thinking you might that. play in this the shitty uh, Saturday 25K that I played in. That was I mean, real you, you showed up later on, but Chipper is a bird. And then yeah. Sean Martin, the other guy, he must have, he said he woke up at like one, showed up to the venue at like three. Yeah, after humble bragging about the legacy deck that he was going to play in Legacy Champs the <laughs> night before, we drank him so far under the table that he did not show up for the event. Yeah, I mean, it's all foil Japanese. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say he humble bragged about it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was kind of a pauper deck, in my opinion. There were no beta duels in it, and it just wasn't that impressive. Yeah, whatever. So yeah, should I, we move on to talking about the, uh, the legacy results for... North yeah. America and Europe? Europe? Well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. The the European event, well, Legacy wasn't so bad, but I was shocked at how small the European Eternal Weekends were. I mean, honestly, pretty sad. They got 98 players for their vintage champs. Their legacy, their legacy champs drew a little better. They had 294 as opposed to our 410. Um, 294 is respectable. 410 is down from, God, what was last year? Legacy Champs. Legacy Champs 2015. Must have been 500, 600. Yeah. But you have to keep in mind, that's the first year in a new city, new time. There's some compounding factors. I expect we'll see it go back up. I think Vintage Champs was like 450 last year, and Legacy Champs was 750. Holy crap, 750. That's what I mean. It was a pretty big dip. I mean... I kind of abdicate the TO from any fault here, given how the short notice was given. And, um, you know, I think their hands were forced. All things being equal, I believe the TO would have just continued on Philly. Uh, so but, yeah. I overheard a conversation that it was something to do with unions. Like, Philly is a highly unionized city, and I guess the convention workers or someone has a stake in it, and there is a problem there. Yeah, I'm happy to blame unions for anything. So if that was the actual cause, then that's great. Yeah, so let's talk about the decks. Uh, we definitely saw a lot of death and taxes do well, both tournaments. I, I think that's expected. Um, death and taxes got a couple of great new printings with the Recruiter of the Guard, the Sanctum Prelate. Uh, good players will do well with it, but uh, it's definitely a tough deck to just pick up and start playing. It's uh, you, It's really, really all about the incremental advantages Little times that you can interact and create a favorable trade. Um, so it's and a having, tough deck to... Uh, and just, having Land Vile go. Yeah, that also helps. <laughs> I mean, every event I've watched somebody steamroll with this deck, they just go Land Vile go. Actually, they usually go Land Vile, untap, port, pass, and that's how, then the opponent is, is just dead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's how I, I die most of the time. But it is embarrassing to you know die to decks with cards like Veteran Armor in them. And... Uh, in legacy, so your your top eight includes a, a whole three death and taxes decks. Was there any real difference between the three of them, or are they pretty much the same? They're all four flicker wisp, 
looks like the number of recruiters and prelates and like even revokers fluctuates between the three. Yeah, one of the guys was playing three Flicker Wisp. I think everyone I've talked to about that agrees it's a pretty bad idea. Sarah Avenger's a fine card, but I don't think you'd want it over uh, the full number of Flicker Wisps. One of the reasons I say that is because you get to reset Sanctum Prelate if a different number is relevant. You get to get another trigger off uh, Recruit of the Guard to get another creature, more Stoneforge Mystics. You get to save your creatures with, uh, with Aether Vial on three. Like, it just does so much for the deck. You get to rape Merit Lage. Yeah. You get to blink out Ensnaring Bridge and attack for lethal. Like, a lot of things that are problems for the deck, it really shores up. I'm, I'm always... I play decks with lots of permanents that lose to Deed and, like, Enchantress or Tesserator, and, like, I'm almost always terrified of Flicker Wisp. That's, like, the one card that is just a fucking terror, assuming they have already gone Vile Go, which every Death and Taxes ape always does against me. But, yeah, that card is absolutely terrifying. I can't imagine why you'd ever want to cut it. Yeah. Like, the number two predictable miracles list. So this this one's pretty interesting. Uh, normally, you would play four, four ponder and only two predict. Um, and he also played a main deck wear tear and a main deck council's judgment. So what this tells me is that he is really hedging against the Eldrazi matchups. Uh, he wants to minimize the number of one drops. And so he's kind of shoving that fourth ponder into the third predict and playing a, a main deck, couple main deck removal spells for Chalice as another hedge. Uh, so I think this is a, a smart plan if you have a lot of Chalice and maybe Sanctum Prelate in your meta. Uh, definitely a stronger build against Death and Taxes. So we were driving home to Atlanta when this guy was playing in like the semis and playing in the top eight. And he played so slowly, I literally wanted to take Paul's car and just drive it off the side of the road into whatever rock formation I could fucking find rather than watch this man play <laughs> another five minutes of magic. Yeah, it's really too bad that he was the one that top eighted. I mean, no offense to Daniel, I don't know him at all. But there were a couple of very strong Miracles players who top 16 There was a Lawrence from, uh, I think he was from Columbus. So he was playing the Predictables build. Um, and also uh, Anurag Das, former classmate, kind of. I mean, he went to Georgia Tech like Sean and I. And uh, he was playing Predict uh, as well. I think he finished top 16, but same, maybe top 16 or top 32. Uh, X2 at any rate. For Anurag. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, anyway. I don't want to discuss the difference between three ponder and four ponder. I, I it's probably uh, better served for some other podcast. <laughs> I, honestly, yeah, I guess our listeners don't care about ponder. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather whatever. hear about strip mine. It's fucking fucking strip mine. Six hundred fucking cantrips. Who gives a fuck how this fucking guy actually can figure? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess the other deck that uh, was. Uh, so there's a stock Eldrazi deck. There's four color shit box Delver with shit lands, shit mana base. I guess, uh, the Delver deck actually played main deck true names, two true names. Yeah, that's a bit interesting. And so he played not... a sulfur elemental in the board. Yeah, um, how this fucking deck ever beats any any hand that involves a wasteland and a chalice is beyond me. But I guess he just yeah. I I truly do not know how it has a favorable death and taxes matchup. But yeah, I'm sure he played it more than once. His side is Sulfur, Elemental, Needle, Needle. What else are you bringing in against Death and Taxes? Do you bring in Dismember? Yeah, it kills creatures. Yeah, I guess you do, huh? You can't. Surely you can't bring in Painful Truths. It's a sorcery speed thing you'll never cast. I guess you bring but, in Hold needle. on. But it, yeah. 
if you have Thalia on board and you cast Painful Truths, yeah, you can pull four aware. cards off it. I'm aware. <laughs> that, that card is awesome. I play it in uh, Shaved Ape as Asmati. Matter of fact, maybe I'll take Shaved Ape as Asmati to, to Japan for GP Chiba. It's like the stereotypical American deck. Jund is so hillbilly. It's it's like you should just play it in overalls. Um, anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess there's this red-black reanimator deck that was scattered throughout the tournament that I guess won. So, hold on, backing up to the Euros. So, Black Red Reanimator won the nine, the 294-player Eternal Weekend Legacy Champ Europe, right? I mean, there's not a lot to say about this deck. I mean, you're playing 13 lands. Like, you're kind of a sack if you get keepable hands over a whatever round tournament. It so, does have a lot of redundant pieces. I, I still agree. I don't know how it won. But I guess if you're going to run hot, it's a good deck to run hot with. So, 294 is eight rounds? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's eight rounds, says Pascal. Let's, let's back up a little bit before we talk about Reanimator, because I want to spend a few minutes on it. Sure. Uh, so there's more four-color Delver in the, in the um, European top eight. There's also two more copies of Predictable Miracles of the, the Predict build. I think it's pretty clear at this point that it's the, uh, the best build. Definitely the strongest in the mirror. Gets to leverage um, the interaction with the Counterbalance pretty well. Uh, if you want to pick up Miracles, I'd suggest looking at I don't know. Maybe so, the uh, the third through, through fourth European player. Yeah, one's got uh, two mentors and then the little legend package. And then yeah, the, the legend package is good in the mirror, but I think overall worse, no matter what Joe Lissette says. You don't want uh, a grizzly bear for four mana with flash? Uh, turns out, no. <laughs> so that guy's right, only so playing three counterbalance, too. That's definitely weird, right? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a meta call, and it also depends how many mentors you have. With four mentors, it makes a lot of sense to play four counterbalance because it's a permanent, it's a proactive lock piece. Uh, the deck just plays more, more like a tempo deck than it does a control deck. Yeah. Um, but if you're in a meta with a lot of Eldrazi and you're not playing the four mentors, you're instead playing the Entreats, it might make sense to play three. He's playing Engineered Explosives too, so he's clearly scared of Chalice. Yeah, that's smart. And EE's a blowout against Death and Taxes because they're never going to blind name it with Revoker and it plays through Thalia and it's pretty sweet. Sure. Also kills fucking slivers. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Reanimator. So we have a couple of different builds. One has Unmask, one has Collective Brutality. Um, I know the Brainstorm Show had a long segment on, uh, on Black Red Reanimator. One of their hosts played it. So definitely tune into that if you want some first-hand experience. I haven't played it myself. Uh, I got crushed by, I think, like an Italian man coming from ninth at the European uh, Eternal Weekend playing Black Red Reanimator. And he had a, he had a pretty insane, like, Entomb, Get It Forced, Unmask, like, Faithless Looting, Reanimate uh, start, which, was, which beat my turn two kill. Um, that I never had a second turn to execute. So, it's, it just reminds me a lot of... I mean, I guess it's better than Belcher in the respect that you do have targeted discard. Can any of these fucking decks actually beat a Black Leyline? No, you have to, like, play... No, but no one deck. plays Black Leyline. And most people, if they play Grave Hate, they play Containment Priest or they play Rest in Peace. So, basically, well. this is a statement that people are playing the wrong sort of Graveheart Hate. And that you can win the dice roll? Uh, yeah, I mean... Sure, but it has a lot of fast mana. 
I guess the actual, I think the thing that puts this deck over the top is that there are some decks that actually can't beat Mahamodi Jin. So, like, the fact that you can reanimate the Angel and that, like, some decks just can't deal with four spiking Mahamodi Jin, this deck goes from joke to consistent, right? Because you only have 10 dudes. You're not always going to have Entomb. But, like, yeah. a deck like Shardless Bug, their only way to kill Chancellor of the Annex is, like, Liliana, and Liliana costs four, right? Right. So the, one of the reasons that this deck is good is the Chancellor, as you mentioned. Like, the fact that you have a proactive, uncounterable piece of interaction on turn zero is definitely pretty powerful. Uh, and like you said, just being able to daze every single spell that they play, if you get it um, on the board, it's pretty relevant. Yeah, I mean, this, other... this, this thing is like seven, what is it, four, seven mana to actually cast it? Yeah, who cares? I want to play this. That's the point is you reanimate it. I want to play it in mode stompy now. Anyway, whatever. Carry on. So Sire of Insanity also uh, very insane against all of the uh, the control and and combo decks. So I, I think this deck does have a pretty strong turn one or game one combo matchup. Uh, and then its sideboard is solid against uh, some types of graveyard hate as well. It looks like one of the players has Stronghold Gambit. I've seen Sneak Attack. There's a lot of options that you have here. Um, Look at this sack. He has three Reverend Silence in his sideboard and a one Forest. <laughs> and three <laughs> Abrupt Decay. What the fuck kind of world do we live in where that's possible? Fuck. <laughs> uh, I guess he assumes that Reverend Silence essentially says destroy target, rest in peace, and all the decks that play rest in peace will never play Wasteland, so he's safe. Holy shit, this deck is $500? <laughs> I bet you that's half the reason it got popular. I mean, you just it's you don't have to buy underground seas, right? Oh man, yeah, that's insane. That's less yeah. than a standard deck last season. With the Jake? other guys is a little more expensive. Why is his? Uh, there's one that's six hundred and twenty-six dollars. Oh, Blood Moons. He's playing Blood Moons. The other guy. Oh, thanks, Modern. Yeah, so those Blood Moons are worth quite a bit. It's interesting to note that just one of Evan and I's beta bayous is worth more than five hundred dollars. <laughs> that's why my depth build is superior. <laughs> uh, I don't know this 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 deck doesn't get me that excited. I, I so why would you ever play this over the blue one? It's basically it, it's just faster. It's just a turn and a half faster. And yeah, it's a, it's a statement that you're willing to accept the variance and that you think the proactive disruption of Chancellor is better than um, Days Enforceable. Yeah, and that people are playing the wrong hate. That's fair. Um, I watched it just die on camera to a black ley line. Some, I believe is winning in Ryan, uh, emotional shop man uh, from North Carolina, was playing a winning in uh, in Legacy, and he lost to Eldrazi, who sacked black ley line. Savage. Yeah, and he, uh, I think he his sideboard plan was the sneak attack uh, plan, but it just was too slow, or he got wasted off of it. I can't remember now. Oh, that would be awesome! Like pregame actions. Me too. <laughs> if they, the um, the thing about the the sneak attack sideboard is like, what are the chances that you're gonna have enough mana to ever cast? I guess you have Dark Ritual. Yeah, it's it's got 14 lands, but it has Dark Ritual, Simeon Spirit Guide, and Petal. Some builds. Yeah. Looks like this one doesn't. But... Man, this fucking deck gets chalice. Anyway. Oh yeah. Oh, did any chalices make any any of the, either of the legacy top eight? It was only one one Eldrazi player. Yep, that's right. 
They put chalices in the black green reanimator deck. Uh, sorry, black green depths deck. Oh really? Oh really? In the sideboard, yeah, four chalices. What? How can a deck that plays like <laughs> well, a pile of one drops play four chalices? <laughs> it's beyond me, man. Like that one, I, I cannot answer. I mean, so this explains. So this is Kingdom. I saw a turbo depths player who doesn't normally play it have a chalice and die with a grip full of four one drops. <laughs> He listened to the internet. In this deck, who would be stupid <laughs> enough to play Chalice in his deck? But he probably just copied this deck list. Yeah, he didn't really understand how it's working, or you know what he's sideboarding out, what he's bringing in, why he's bringing in Chalice, why it's so worthwhile. But. Uh, what? Why? Who does he bring it in against Plow decks? I mean, like, is that the only reason? I mean, it's okay against Storm, I guess, but you're also relying on thoughts. Thoughts he's against Storm. It's a replacement for uh, Sphere of Resistance uh, and then also blocking out Swords of Plowshares. Well, and in the Giga Quarterly, my DNT player that I was fighting against had four swords and four Path to Exile. <laughs> get fucked. Yeah, get fucked. <laughs> it knocked me out of top eight, so I wasn't expecting that. So, yeah, Chalice on Zero is pretty strong against Storm and doesn't do a whole lot against you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can get behind Chalice on Zero. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I well, that I think covers the top eight. Mm. We uh, do you guys have any more legacy decks to talk about? Well, let me pose this to you guys, since I'm the only one going to Chiba. What would you play? What What would you play if you were going to Chiba? It's Japan. Like brainstorm. I would play Miracle Science. Join all the the <laughs> Japanese chimps in their omniscience <laughs> orgy fest, which I think I'm gonna win. Yeah, yeah. Last last Legacy GP there, brainstorm made its most triumphant imprint ever. I think it, I think the only thing that kept it from being a perfect 64 for 64 was the lone man on painter with his eight red blasts made <laughs> in a field yeah. of omni derp. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think Tesserator's not a bad route. Uh, I think the Black Green Depths deck might not be a bad route too. Um, but I mean, Main Board and Snaring Bridge sounds great right now. And Chalice, those are two key cards for the meta. Yeah, a lot of Miracles decks uh, either struggle pretty hard with Snaring Bridge or can't beat it. Jace, only, yeah. Only... A lot of Miracles decks are cutting Jace. So just Mentor, Mentor, Mentor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they they have EE. And Council's Judgment as a couple of potential answers, but... I always felt like Tesserator against Miracles, I was heavily favored. They can't beat Chalices, they can't beat Planeswalkers, they can't beat Trinispheres, they can't beat more Planeswalkers, like, they can't beat Trading Post. Um, a lot of Miracles decks nowadays are playing four Blast sideboard. <laughs> That's how you know the format's inbred. But, uh... Yeah, Blast. Like, Tesserator getting blasted is not the greatest. I think I would switch my Planeswalkers around. Like, I played six Planeswalkers. I think I would probably try to fit Duretti in. I think he's pretty ridiculous at this point. I just haven't had a lot of time to test with him. Um, I think you want at least two. Yeah, he is he's nuts, and then he shores up a lot of your problem things. Like, Vile Go is always annoying. I'm, I'm sideboarded, Null Rods are really annoying. Um, and just being able to either terror something or... Uh, shatter something is a pretty big deal. Yeah, and, and the blue guardian beast that just came out that we talked about over barbecue. Yeah, I'm on the fence about that guy. I mean, for every match where he's good, like, like he's 
that's going to still be better against like shardless bug, right? They don't have Caracas, but like the matches that have Caracas and or bringing in red blast, he's kind of embarrassing. Like I'm not, I'd rather have guardian beast. And then like guardian beast is like a hundred dollars. And that guy is literally like a fucking draft box common. Yeah. He's like 23. I, I bought three and it was under 75 cents. So that's a consideration. Although he can actually attack, right? He's a one five. Uh, one four. One four. We're talking about Padim Council of uh, for all you listeners who don't know who this idiot is. What's his name? Padim. Padim, just go by Padim. Blue man, long head. Padim. Padim, keeper of the buff- keeper of the buffet. Hold on a second. That was <laughs> that was racist. Uh, Padim Council of Innovation. Yeah. Artifacts you control have hexproof at the beginning of your upkeep. If you control trading post, draw a card. So that's pretty sick. Yeah. Maybe I have to think about him. I hate giving up on the beast, but uh, maybe split. Yeah, maybe a split. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah, maybe Tesserator. Uh, I guess I have experience with that deck, and uh, so that probably counts for more than anything. So, do you guys want me to talk about Miracles of Science real quick? Yeah, break it down. The floor is yours. Break it down. Sure. So I've talked about it in different media at this point, so I'll, I'll just go over it super fast. It's a Omniscience Miracles Hybrid. Um, I get to play a Control. So it's a lot like the Vintage decks of yore before like all the stupid Mentor decks got printed. Uh, before Gush was unrestricted. You know, Grixis Combo Control with Time Vault was one of the best decks. <laughs> so, so pretty much you go, Derp, Chowntel, Derp, Omniscience. Gun and wish, kill you, kill you, and then uh, you have counterbalance, so you can like blind reveal and tilt your opponent off and terminus. So they like try to pressure you uh, and overcommit to the board. They have trouble, they have trouble with the terminus really. So it puts them in a catch twenty two. Uh, you have to, they have to kill you before you assemble your combo. But at the same time, they have to be resilient to a instant speed one mana wrath. How uh, often do you just jam show and tell with nothing? Because it's like in a in a control mirror, it essentially tells you whether or not they have a counterspell. There's absolutely no one who will ever call that bluff if they have the counterspell, right? Yeah, so it's super context dependent. Uh, if I have a terminus in hand and they have creatures on board that I want to kill, I'll absolutely jam it because Om- omniscience allows you to cast terminus for free too. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you have a top in play. Absolutely, I'll play it. Uh, top gives you so much ability to look for cards. Um, Miracles pre-board, I'll just jam it out there because going over a late game, it's pretty tough to deal with a resolved omniscience. Uh, where I won't do it is Miracles post-board, any deck where I expect uh, enchantment hate. For example, like four-color loam usually has Golgari charm and Maelstrom pulse and whatnot. So I'll only jam out omniscience if I think they have Liliana. It's pretty sick that when you have Omniscience on top of your library with uh, top and counterbalance, you can counter Aladdin's Lamp. You know, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> what can you count? What is the only play? What are playable cards in Legacy that you can actually counter with uh, Ulamog, right? New Ulamog is 10? Yeah. Nice. God, that would be such a beating. I love the. Uh, what about the Time Walk? <laughs> the Time Walk is like blue, blue, blue. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, what a beating if you're Ulamog wielding 12 post opponent who thinks he's just about to blow you out, gets his Ulamog counter. Well, I guess it 
Lamb, Lamb would probably go in 12th post, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Lamp, Lamp post. I'm telling Lamp you, post. ring him a roof. Ring him a roof. Jenga Taxis, he's 10, I think. I hadn't cast that in a million years, but I mean, that's like eight blue, yes. blue. Yeah, that's 10. Uh, so the, the other, one more thing. In the sideboard, there's a monastery mentor. So it's like, Evan and I were talking about this before the, uh, uh, before the cast. It's kind of become my calling card, I guess. I really like the ability to transform into mentor specifically in a deck that already plays top and cantrips. Uh, it's just like a, a slot that doesn't really take a lot of cards to be a, a kill out of nowhere. And it puts them in a tough place to be able to leave in removal spells, but also uh, deal with wraths and, and your combo. Mentor is fucking retarded. I mean, it's gotten to the point where that card is warped. Yeah. I mean, it's warped vintage. Now it's, you know, I don't know if it's quite warped legacy, but... It's, it's certainly given a shot in the arm to Miracles. Uh, it's turned... So basically all the Miracles matchups are where the, the other deck's late game is better than uh, its. But Mentor just means that they have an actual clock. Yeah, being able to close a game out quickly um, is just awesome and it plays defense so well that's the thing that's like underrated about mentors oh yeah in a world of tarmogoyfs and stuff it just plays defense so so well so much better than any other solution it's giving you a fork in the road where you can you know go left or right with the deck and both ways are really strong you know chalice everyone for sure (laughs) yeah so if you want more details about miracle science uh, i've got a thread on the source under new and dev right now i just need to put up a couple more results and uh Get it into established, I guess. Oh, the fucking Reaper King is 10 mana, too. So is Protogenesis. God, I hope you counterbalance a Protogenesis. That would be <laughs> So, yeah. Do you guys want to talk about Vintage? Yeah, so the Vintage Top 8. Uh, we have... Uh, we actually have more than the Top 8 now. We have results. Uh, two folks on the Mana Drain, Chubby Rain and Diofan, have assembled Top 64 lists. So go check those out. Uh, on the manager. Pause for a second. What What do you think, Chubby Rain? That username. What do you think they refers to? Like when uh, you're when you're jerking off, like you know, over the bathroom or on someone's head, right? Is that is a, that is a, that a rain, rain off your chub? Yeah. You know, it could be. Um, I mean, my name is a little bit uh, obscure too. People call me Needles because I don't <laughs> actually read. Um, so I don't, I don't want to read too deep into his username as long as he's happy with it. I guess I'm, I guess I'm fine with it. I mean, what is your name? It's like, well, your name is now no longer misspelled, right? Fazan Mutant. <laughs> Evans is quite, Evans is quite clear. It's, it's him, you. There's not a lot of subterfuge happening there. I, I, I wish to cast him and target you. Yours is what? Your fucking Metroid? Yeah, What's yeah. It? I, I was, I liked Metroid a lot when I was younger. It's just super old at this point. Man, you sound down about it. Yeah, I mean, I would prefer to not have all of my emails be about Metroid, but whatever. <laughs> would, it, would they be better as Hot Carl? <laughs> <laughs> they might be, you know? <laughs> Take a shit all over this email thing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but I thank him for his hard work. I also, uh, I, he was the one I sacked Viral and Plague against, so... Uh, I got a chubby over that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so they broke it down. They did a, a sort of a rough archetype breakdown. Um, Gush basically doubled any other deck in the meta at 23%. Uh, Shops was at 11%, so way down from last year. 
White Eldrazi, 6. Tribal, presumably mostly budget. Eldrazi, 12. Oath, 12. They have they have combo listed as 10, so one has to assume that's a combination of, like, Paradoxical Outcome, Storm, maybe Doomsday is lumped in there as well. I mean, they might have lumped Doomsday into Gush, I'm not sure, but... Um, so definitely a different take than last year, but if you want to if you want to take shops, white Eldrazi and tribal Eldrazi, and just cram them into one category of like prisony decks, yeah, thorn decks, yeah, it adds up to uh, almost thirty percent. So, and not all tribal Eldrazi decks played thorn main; those are maybe just mainly null rod decks, but um, they're certainly like prison aggro decks. Um, so different take than last year, that's for sure. Um, and the top eight bared out. Land still ends up winning it. Jacob Corey finishes second with prison stacks, uh, kind of old school smokestack. Hiramichi Atau, former champion, finishes third with his take on shops, which was, I would call that aggro shops. It's got four fleet wheel cruisers, one skyship, legionnaires, triskelions, revokers, and he's playing four foundry inspectors. Um, that was a card before the event that if I had played shops, I was going to play foundry inspectors and I was going to go aggro. You remember that list I sent you? It was just like balls, yeah, right. ball, null rod shops, but he's not playing null rods. He he's playing four cruisers. It's not clear to me that your, uh, that your deck would be bad, but I did test some with Hiramishi Ito's deck and uh, it's well constructed. It's definitely yeah. a good deck. There's a reason he did well. I mean, the closing speed when he curves out perfectly is pretty absurd. I mean, he can get, he can win on turn three with this deck. Oh and, yeah. And that's pretty, that's pretty insane. Uh, he can win on turn three through a thorn actually, which is pretty crazy um, because he has so many creatures and he has foundry inspector, which until you play with foundry inspector, I don't think you realize how fucking crazy that card is. Like openers like shop foundry inspector mocks thorn are like real, you know? Yeah. It's you absurd. Guy's absurd. Um, he played soul ring too. What a champion. Uh, fourth place was, uh, Joe Brennan on gush mentor. Nothing particularly interesting. First place? No fourth place. First place was Bogard. Oh, Oh, uh, our land still hero. Uh, he of the foil strip mine and foil crucible and foil soul ring. Right. Um, Fifth place, Michael Van Dyke on White Eldrazi. I played him on this in the Saturday event. He had Mana Crypt in his opener, so he probably had that all day Friday as well. Um, Brian Palace finishes sixth with oh, he was the guy that that gave me my loss uh, last round in Legacy. Brian Palace, yeah, yeah, he's got a, a kind of a cool cool list. It's it's like a cross between Remora Remora Mentor and like a vault a more traditional like Vault Key. Um, combo deck and he's running two remoras three tops four it's really a dedicated mentor deck four four monastery mentors but he's got two keys um obviously time vault he has um the three thought casts yeah thought cast is the thing that i want to really key in on i think there's a lot of room for thought cast mentor decks uh and this is certainly one build i've been testing a different build with paradoxical outcomes and it's Oh, it's insane. It's so cool. Like, you can very easily just create 60 tokens in one turn. Yeah, Mentor is depressingly good, and this guy looks like he was on that road, but I, 
but you're not playing vault key in your paradoxical outcome deck, right? Correct. Yeah. So this key, this guy, but the, the weird thing about this guy's list, I'm, I'm looking at it here. He's playing vault key. He has like a few things strike me as strange. One playing three thought cast and only one see the synod. That's bold. That it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Two, he's playing like Vault Key and a bunch of extra disposable artifacts, and he's not playing Tinker. Which, what? There's uh, got to be a typo in there. No, I mean, he's only playing like one Opal. That's what I mean. It looks like you took a, a Remora Mentor deck and a Thoughtcast Mentor deck, and they had like drunken sex, and they produced this deck. It certainly looks sloppy. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, he he did well, and I can see where. Uh, he doesn't completely cave to Nullrod, right? He's got one, two, three, four. He's got two islands, two under. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't cave to Nullrod. He can make actual mana. Anyway, uh, seventh place was the unpowered guy who double dipped in the prizes, which is pretty sweet. Oh man, um, he's playing uh, Eldrazi for Nullrods. Strange in that he is only playing three ancient tombs. And he's playing like one city of traders. So for people crying that ancient tomb should be restricted, this guy didn't even play four. How um, much you want to bet that's a? Wait a minute, it can't possibly be a budget. No, it cannot be a budget choice because you can buy a hundred ancient tombs for the price of one city of traders. <laughs> yeah, and he's got um, uh, he has main deck Worldbreaker, which is that is an expensive magic card. I believe it's green Seven. six. It's six right? green. I played it in Modern No Ban List on Saturday, which I would love to talk about at the end of the podcast. Worldbringer. What is it? Worldbreaker? Worldbreaker. When it comes to play, play this thing. This is it the exiles an yeah, yeah, yeah. artifact enchantment land. It has reach. It's a 5-8, five, 5-7 five, or something. Sick. Straight out of Starship Troopers. All right, so yeah, this guy's <laughs> sick. I wonder if he fucked anybody up with that guy. Um, so that's an interesting take on that deck did play. He played three thorns, four null rods, two spirit guys. He played the gentleman's fairy macabre main deck. What in the world is he like? How does he find these one ofs? He has one fairy macabre, the gentleman's spatial spatial contortion. Yeah. Uh, and then eighth place was, uh, I believe his name is Montolio online. That's right. Yeah. A more traditional thought, not seer. Look, I drew my mana crypt version of shops um which i think when all things go well is pretty brutal i just uh can never get the hands to work out for me yeah um, ravager definitely gives you a lot of lines of play i think it's a pretty tricky card to play correctly especially because most vintage players seem not to have much experience with combat math no not oh. combat is not a big part of vintage until it you wasn't to, now it is until you have to stare down a horde of vampires yeah it's so, good it's it's been i think the preeminent build for a while uh the build being Ravager and Trike and Hainerback Walkers and whatnot. I don't have so enough confidence. Is new. Yeah, I, I have no confidence in my ability to resolve Thought Not Seer or to resolve the Soul Ring and like, or to have the Mana Crypt and the Thought Not Seer. I don't. I just can't bring myself to ever play this deck at a long tournament. I, I would be much more. Uh, I'd be tempted to play something along the lines of Hiramichi's deck um, and be more aggressive. And, Hiramichi's deck is good. Yeah. And I think Montolio, since the event, has been testing out Hiramichi's deck, and I think he's doing well. Yeah, maybe maybe you could actually take Hiramichi's deck and build a deck that crushes the mirror, which is to be even faster and lower to the ground. Like With play Nullrod? the yeah, play Null Rods, and then play the Lords, like we talked about. And then so all your guys are just bigger in combat. Like 
when you're fighting with three two revokers and three three mistress factories, um, yeah, you can you can close the game out even faster. Yeah, so so everyone has probably seen the the results. Let's talk about our impressions from the tournament. So my big takeaway, I'll start because I introduced it. Uh, my big takeaway was how well and how much white Eldrazi there was. It seemed like every other table had a white Eldrazi player, and uh, there were several copies in the top 16. Not only the top 8 copy, but also uh, I think two or three extra, like my, my friend Mike, uh, he lost his winning in in the mirror to the guy who got fourth. Um, there was another one or two besides that. So to me, this is the big breakout performance of a deck that uh, put up good results when Eldrazi first were printed, but hasn't done a lot since, and has been unfairly lumped in with the colorless Eldrazi deck. Uh, mostly when people talk about Eldrazi, they just think that they're the same. But they're no, no very way. much not the same. No, they're not the same. Um, New Thalia being the, just the fucking backbreaker. Like, Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've somewhat given up on shops in a large part due to the fact that when my opponent resolves Thalia Gar or uh, Heretic Cathar, I have no chance to win the game ever. Um, yeah, turn one Thalia Heretic Cathar is basically a turn one win. I, I've lost once or twice after that. Yeah, she's in, she's insane, especially in these, and then she's she's amazing in these Thorn Mirrors because. You automatically win the wasteland fight. She's amazing in combat, um, and then in when two decks are just tombing themselves to death, just being able to swing through and uh, crush face for that last like five damage when you you had to put like your thought not in tapped is amazing. Absolutely. I still yeah, hate so the deck, that was though, a big because the, the 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 floor of the deck is so miserable as like yeah as I found out. So I, I tuned the deck. We, Mike and I tuned the deck to have the maximum number of turn one plays. So we played Mana Crypt. We played Mox Pearl. We played all of the, the Moxes. Uh, sorry, not Mox Pearl. Lotus Petal. Um, so we had a higher incidence of turn one Thalia, turn one Thalia of both sorts. Uh, but when the deck doesn't draw like that, it's pretty awful. Or like you have multiple copies of Legends stuck in your hand, and you're like, "Well, all right." Yeah, I, in my gold, I, I never took the deck to a tournament, but I, I got the sense that um, Matt Matt Webster played it a bunch, and I played against him, you know, twenty or thirty times with it, and the planes go hands were just uh, just unacceptable. Um, but you know. I, I see the appeal of the deck versus shops. I guess the appeal of the deck versus shops is that A, you have basics, and B, you have, you're far less linear, and then your hate is now just diversified. Whereas, like, in the past, if, for example, like Brian Kelly's Oath deck found its ancient grudge and you were on shops, you were just done. But this deck doesn't die to ancient grudge. This deck doesn't die to Null Rod. It doesn't die to Energy Flux. It doesn't die to Hercules Recall. Because and it also has a strong shot of winning an onboard Pyromancer or Monastery Mentor, which is a lot more than shops can say. Right. Eldrazi Displacer, yeah. over a long game, will beat those cards. Yeah, Eldrazi Displacer is is pretty nuts. And then you're such a more reliable Thought Knots to your deck than like Markinton's deck. Like you, you can so much more reliably cast your best, arguably one of your best creatures, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's um, I think it's, it's, a more reliable play in that deck, and then that, then that card really is 
if you want to look at a, a, a card that dominated the top eight, it's probably more like Thought Knots here, right? There were four. How many Thought Knots here were in the top eight? That's a good White, point. White Eldrazi, one mud deck with four of them, and then another mud deck with, and then a White Eldrazi. So 12 Thought Knots here in the top eight. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Here, here's a here's a what if because I'm a fucking whiner. Like, <laughs> so if Golem is still around, you know, do these decks ever emerge? It, Thought not to me is as brutal a turn one play as Golem. If not, it really, with the way I build my decks, a more brutal play on turn one. Yeah, it's definitely close. Um, the Golem having three toughness uh, definitely is a liability concern compared to Thought Knots here. Right. Um, I, in my White Eldrazi deck, I cut Lodestone Golem uh, because it was so, it was so good against a White Eldrazi deck. Like the card in my own deck was sometimes beating me because it, uh, it added one to all the Eldrazi. So I think in the mirror, it might be enough to tip the balance in Shop's favor. Yeah, so maybe with four Golem, we have just an, a Golem Eldrazi slugfest, and that's what Vintage would have just become. Like shop players trying to get their golem out quickly, and then Eldrazi players trying to have planes, mocks, plow. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I, I I think there there's a little bit of an overreaction to the to the thorn decks in the top eight. Um, I don't know. There were some cries about uh, you know thorn or sphere or ancient tomb being oppressive. I just don't. I still really don't see a, a, any effort at all by any of the blue decks to make any adjustments for game one. Well, the problem is blue is still 60 to 70%. Of, well, it's not 50 though. to 60% of the field. Let's, let's say that. Okay. Yeah. So you give up a huge edge in basically this arms race and you already have a poor game one matchup against shops. So the idea, the strategy there is to concede game one. Just hope your sideboard uh, does well. And it can work because mentor is absurd. Yeah, uh, it's true. I think the the thing that most people hate about Thorn is that it's so unfun to play against. As fun as it is to play with, whereas I think the blue mirrors generally are fun for both players, unless you just like cast gush and break off. I mean, people haven't been having fun recently when I turn one them with paradoxical outcome and they never play any cards. I mean, I just don't. To me, Magic is such a zero sum fun game. I don't know that uh, – I guess a blue mirror in which we, we have a penultimate turn on the sixth or seventh turn, I guess, is interesting, more interesting than being thorned out of a game. But my uh, hope is that there will be no restrictions. I, I don't want to debate the merits of Fauna. It's just such a – Yeah, it's uh, nebulous, but that's, yeah. that's where the argument is. That's fine. I guess, I guess it's, uh, it's subjective and you're not calling it – you're calling a spade a spade. Subject, if you subjectively feel like games in which your opponent casts Thorn and you're staring at mental missteps and fluster storms is not fun, I suppose that's a truth. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of hoping a blue deck that uh, took a game one stance against Thorn would top eight. You know, I mean, Land still in some respects is is that deck. It's a it's a game that it's a deck that is blue that can win game one and somewhat consistently against Thorn decks, right? Yeah, I mean, that's got to be the perfect example. If you wanted a deck that beats Thorn, that's it. Yeah, and I guess people, uh, 
it's not a super popular deck um, for whatever reason. Um, it takes a lot of practice. Or I think you, it has a poor mentor matchup, despite him uh, winning against it. Um, he hedged his main deck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He hedged his main deck. He had he had a moat and engineered explosives, I believe, and the full four plows. Uh, just three and a Great. supreme verdict. And a supreme verdict. Okay, and actually, a card that isn't terrible in a world of um, mentors is actually mana drain. I mean, having a hard counter that stops the card monastery mentor is actually pretty good. Um, especially if he can, if he can waste them down to where they can't cast mentor with Flusterstorm back up, mana drain becomes, uh, you know, somewhat of a hard counter against it. It's kind of like why I always played mana leak. You know, I love like Mox, fetch land go. And I love playing mana leak and vintage because just having a, basically a hard counter that can counter a creature is a, is a pretty big trump card in a blue uh, in a blue deck trying to beat Mentor, so. Yeah, I can see that. Well, do you want to talk about uh, outcomes real quick and then wrap up this uh, this podcast? Yeah, yeah. So I played Outcome on Saturday at Eternal Weekend, and the build that I've been trying to play is a build that hopes to not ship the turn, like the turn one, turn one and a half type deck. And I've been playing four probes, no counter spells, and four defense grids main. All the jewelry... And the five color lands, four seats, but no thought casts. And I'm just playing all the spoilers, much like you would in a Belcher deck. Like I have a wheel, I have a windfall, um, I even have a balance. And I have my only Tinker Target main is like a memory jar. And that's the approach that I took with Mentor. I actually started off 3 0 in the Saturday event. Um, and the deck, the deck feels really good. It's obviously stone dead to Nullrod, and it has a hard time with Thorns. Um, so my sideboard plan was to just side into Oath like a shit-slinging ape and bring in cards like four Oath, four Orchard, two Blazing Archon, and then I have a Blightsteel Colossus too. God, that plan sounds so bad. But... The plan is bad, but there is like no plan B. Once you say I'm going to play four C to the Synod and like you don't, you can't even board a planes in. Like you can, <laughs> you can, you can bring in three more. I have a main deck Hercules. You can bring in three Hercules and a chain, but like. It just doesn't do enough. It doesn't do enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't... It's a lot like Beltran that you can't even get your first spell off. So, uh, I think if you want to play that that style of outcome deck, which is, like, brutally explosive, you, then you just have to concede the Thorn matchup and play play the Oath pack, Or just, like, concede it, period. Or play the, the Oath package. I don't see another way to beat that deck. Um, yeah, but it, it's reasonable. fun as fuck. It's... it's it's really talk about fun. It's very fun to put up a defense grid while your blue opponent <laughs> casts a fucking preordain, knowing they're going to die. And then you just untap and absolutely take a fucking shit all over them. Shields up. Outcome is so ridiculous because it's the first mass draw spell we've had that actually, I would say over half the time, at least in that deck with like crypt vault, four opals tops, all the moxes diamond. I mean, it, it nets you mana. It's a draw, let's say it's a conservatively, it's normally a draw three to eight that nets you mana, which is unheard of. All the other draw spells that we've had, some of which are now unrestricted, like Thirst and some of these other ones, like none of them net you mana. Which Except is, for Gush. Well, and yes, notice sorry. those are the only two playable draw spells. Yes, yes. Yeah, so outcome is very often plus three to eight cards and plus three to eight mana. I mean, it's... I, I've not, 
I haven't. Mana Vault hasn't been this absurd since like 1996. Oh, I'm so happy to get to use my Tedin and Garfield signed Mana Vault, Korean Mana Vault. Yeah, you do have a very boss Mana Vault. Yeah, so you've taken a different tact with Mentor and or with uh, Outcome Right and paired it with Mentor. Yeah, so definitely credit to uh, to Menendian and Kevin Cron for coming up with the original idea. Uh, I think their deck kind of sucks though. It only plays ten lands, doesn't play any main deck removal spells. Um, super weak to Thorn and Nullrod. But the idea is solid. Uh, and so Mike Kiesel, uh, Seattle guy, who I talk a lot about Vintage with, um, he put together this list, and we did some testing. He has only four Dredge Hate, and he just, like, very easily crushed Dredge pre- and post-board just by playing a Mentor. Uh, turn one, <laughs> like, it felt like 50% of the time. What is your dredge hate? Oh, it's men- my play monastery mentor. That's yeah, my- exactly. Like if he ever had mentor plus Tormod script, I was like, it was I was done. It's impossible to fight through a graveyard hate spell and mentor. Yeah, so you guys are playing what uh, two swords or some 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 reasonable amount of removal main? How many lands? Thirteen. Uh, I think it's thirteen. It might be up to fourteen, but I think it's thirteen. Thirteen and so like- it's like. Planes I'm say four fetches, an island, and three tundras, something like that. I'd like an opportunity to play my beta altered tundras, so maybe this is a deck I should consider for Asia Vintage Championship. Oh, yeah. Like when you pick up a pile of moxes, make a monk for each one, and then say go. I mean, that's it, still feels pretty good. Yeah, I wonder. Uh... I wonder if, as I, I listened to their podcast, and, and I know Steven just had a horrendous run of like hitting of those 11% Thorn decks. Like he, he, I believe he hit all but one round he played against Thorn. Um, so it seems like their their build would get crushed. I mean, it's not like Swords is dead when you have Mentor. I mean, you, you can typically Swords your own token and, and, you know, you're overrunning your whole fucking team at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point. What's your artifact, hey, like Hercules and Fragmentize? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a, some of those. Fragmentize, to me, I haven't played with it enough. Um, it's kind of new, and I haven't really played a white vintage deck since it's come out. It just seems like a feel-bad moment if you get wired, but maybe I guess this deck has a lot of permanence, so it's not as susceptible to wire. And the chance of you actually running out of turn one Mentor is also probably pretty high, which Tanglewire starts to look awful in the face of a mentor. True. And also, uh, Paradoxical Outcomes is an instant, so you can respond to Tanglewire by casting the Outcomes. Wow. Tough day for Tanglewire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll need to decide in the next couple of days. I mean, I feel like I have to stick up for Mishra on one hand, as the world is once again... Uh, all, it's everyone versus Mishra. At the same time, um, I wouldn't mind playing Outcome too. I've been having a great time playing with it, so I need to figure out something to play when I go Storm Chiba. So it's going to be interesting. This GP is sort of a free roll. I looked at the pre-reg list. I mean, there were like five white people going to this entire thing. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to you see. You think they'll want to like touch you and touch your hair? Perhaps. Well, you I don't, don't have, have hair. hair. Yeah, so that's going to be rough. But. I'd be interested to see a couple things. Like the first, I have some experience having played in Europe a few times, like with the language barrier, but Europe is a totally different animal. There's this, 
uh, expectation that no matter where a GP is taking place in Europe, that English is sort of the language of magic. Um, everybody seemed to speak a little bit or at least know, understand and be able to communicate magic terms in English. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if that's the same in Japan. I've played in Taipei before, um, but that was draft. So it's really not that hard to communicate the fact that you're casting a Windrake and attacking with it. Um, legacy is a lot more complicated. You know what I mean? There's like, yeah. plus I love to get people. And so I wonder if it's going to be hard to get people in a different language. So, yeah, what I've heard from Japan is that, uh, they speak in Japanese. I don't know. Uh, I mean, magic, you can do a lot visually, I guess. Um, and I guess it also depends on the deck I play. Um, but yeah, I suppose I should keep that in mind. So, but I can't imagine trying to navigate a complicated, you know, stack interaction or, you know, multiple triggers or oh God knows like retaining priority with a top and you know, like what a nightmare that might be. Yeah. They'll, they'll always have a, an interpreter uh, oh, available. Okay. Well, I'm probably going to, you know how the rate at which I call judges <laughs> should put an interpreter in your retainer. <laughs> Maybe I'll hire, yeah, I'll just hire a, a fucking interpreter to follow me around. <laughs> Sean Sun, yes, I will, and he can go and get me like sashimi in between rounds. It's like you know, taken, right? You have the interpreter. I don't understand what this is for. Could you explain? Yeah, yeah. It's also like Matt Pavlik, who had that uh, retainer at GP Seattle, who just ran around and got him coffee and sandwiches. Who onions? Is that his actual name? Yeah. Yeah, that man who is who I called him Matt's manservant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor man. Anyway, all right. Well, I'll take lots of pictures, and uh, it should be interesting. I hopefully I can. I figure it's a no lose situation. If I day two the uh, GP, I'm still going to drop and play vintage, so I have something to look forward to regardless. So nice. Yeah. Well, you'll have to do a cast once you get back. Yeah, I will if I'm not in jail. All right. Take care. Cool. Have a good night. <laughs>